here on the high motor podcast the midweek episode of the high motor podcast check out the show on twitter at high motor pod on instagram at high motor pod and if you're listening right here on apple podcast stitcher overcast and everywhere else on monday there was a media call usc head coach clay helton stanford head coach david shaw clay helton on that call confirmed that the pac-12 has been discussing an 11 game conference only schedule other options on the table obviously but they have been discussing an 11-game conference-only schedule, and them discussing this, we already assumed that because all the leagues are discussing all options. Him confirming it, though, means something. Him confirming it, unlike other scenarios where they'll say, well, what if we do regional non-conference schedules? You know, pair up the SEC with the Sun Belt. That's been mentioned. Pair up the Pac-12 with the Mountain West. Shorten the season to 10 games. Start in September, start in October. Unlike those proposals and more ambiguous ones in which we just don't know the details we don't know what games would be trimmed off what games exactly will be played with this proposal from the Pac-12 we do know this we do know that it would be an 11 game conference schedule you play the round robin of teams you wipe out the divisional scheduling play everybody in doing so obviously then you wipe out non-conference games too and the Pac-12 really gets shit on in the national picture rightfully so I think and with the lack of top tier playoff contenders, in my opinion, playoff contenders in 2020, the high likelihood that a Pac-12 team will not make the playoff again, the conference is going to get shit on again in 2020. There is no shitting on their non-conference schedule, though. It's entertaining this year. It is a fantastic blend of headliners, of intriguing FCS games, of novelty games. I mean, look at this. 36 non-conference games for the Pac-12 this year. If you have the 11-game conference-only schedule... You're losing week one, North Dakota State at Oregon. And I'm going to have FCS writer Sam Herder on the show later to talk more about this game. You lose that game. Also, I'll have Dennis Dodd on the show in a couple of minutes. Dennis Dodd and Sam Herder coming up on the High Motor Podcast. You lose North Dakota State, Oregon. You lose the Holy War. You lose BYU, Utah. That's gone. You lose Michigan, Washington, Stanford, Notre Dame. Notre Dame, USC. You lose Ohio State at Oregon. That is the novelty game of the college football season. Last year, it was LSU-Texas, no question about it. That was the novelty game of the 2019 college football season going into this season. First regular season meeting since the 50s for those two teams, and we didn't know at the time last year's LSU would be what they become, the greatest college football team of all time. Entering that season, that was the novelty game by far, in my opinion. That game this year is Ohio State at Oregon. A few weeks back, I made a list of the 25 best novelty games of season. I think I called it 25 best novelty games of season. Just Google that. It is Ohio State at Oregon. It's North Dakota State at Oregon. It's Penn State, Virginia Tech. Uh, Oklahoma Army's on that list. Oklahoma going to West Point. That doesn't happen. Big time Power Five teams don't just go up to West Point and go to G5 schools very often. Notre Dame, Wisconsin at Lambeau. As far as neutral site games go, that's about as good as it gets. Even NC State at Troy, that's a novelty game. Texas at LSU is still a novelty this year. Michigan, Washington, like I said. Auburn, North Carolina. Pittsburgh at Marshall. 
That's a novelty game. It's not going to be a headliner, and it's probably going to get lost for a lot of fans, but that's absolutely a novelty game. I think that these novelty games, when I say it, it means a lot to the game of college football. Chase Kitty and I talked earlier on the show, I think it was a few weeks ago, about what makes college football college football. And David Shaw also talked about this on the media call. Ultimately, if there aren't certain teams or certain conferences competing this year, what are they actually playing for? What does the season even mean? If some teams aren't playing, if some games are canceled, where's the line in which you cross when college football just stops being college football? Never even mind, disregard what does the national championship mean? When does the asterisk come in? Where's the line to cross when college football just stops being college football? And I don't think that eliminating non-conference games is that line, but I think that you're stepping really close to that line. I mean, Ohio State, Oregon is what college football is. LSU, Texas last year, that that was the essence of college football. Oklahoma going to West Point is a really big deal and is what college football is. And looking over those Pac-12 games that we could lose, granted, we're making a very large assumption here, we could lose those. Yeah, I'll gladly take 11 Pac-12 games this season if that's what has to happen to have college football, but still. But still, I can look at these 36 games and say, I really want to see the Holy War. I really want to watch UCLA at San Diego State. San Diego State has given Power 5 teams specifically from the Pac-12 all kinds of problems for years. I want those games. Okay, Dennis Dodd coming up, Sam Herter coming after that. Thanks for checking out the High Motor Podcast. Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports here this week. And Dennis, first, you tweeted on, it was Monday morning, your personal prediction Will we have college football this fall? You tweeted that you're at 35%. Why are you at 35%? What is driving that percentage for you? Andrew, I think there's some unique challenges in the college space, which is much different than the pro. I mean, you start with the testing. Um, You're talking about 13,000 FBS football players that you're going to have to test maybe every day. And and forget that they're, they're remembering there's not reliable testing in the country yet, at least not speedy reliable testing. And then the, the biggest one to me is the liability issue where pros can dictate the terms of their employment, their working conditions. They have a collective bargaining agreement. These are college students that you cannot force to sign a waiver uh, for, you know, if they catch the disease. It, it, inevitably, it, when, when and if it returns, that is going to happen. Some staff member or player will test positive. And for the first time, I guess in the last week, I started hearing, you know, the word forfeit. You know, what if it comes in the middle of the season? Is that a forfeit? You know, nobody does. And, and, and as we sit here right now, and I know we're less than four months away, it's still a long ways away. Leaders, the lack of leadership has been stunning. My takeaway from the headlines of last week are was that not only are is are the conferences ready to go forward without all 10 being ready within those conferences they're ready to go without all the members being ready and what does that what does that look like i don't know yeah and that leadership late last week and i think that you tweeted about this too mark emmert saying that all conference commissioners are and i think his words were clear agreement that without those on-campus classes there won't be sports and then i think two times in two days bob bowlsby big 12 commissioner basically just says no, that online classes would satisfy the requirement of enrollment and we could have sports. And you've been doing this a lot longer than I have, but I I can't fathom how 
there is a disconnect on something like that. I get that we could not have predicted something like this happening, but how is there such a disconnect on something like that? Is anybody on the same page with your conversations that you've had? Well, no. Uh, <laughs> they're all saying the right things. You know, student athlete welfare, we, we need to go forward together. But we, Andrew, we live in a world where these conferences can't even agree on how many uh, conference games they should play. You know, they're, they're, they're go off on their own and they're selfish about that fact. How can we expect them to, to do something, take over an enterprise this big, you know, that came out of nowhere? So it, it, it doesn't look good. And at the end of the day, and they've already indicated it, that with 70 teams or, or whatever it is, to, to get some part of that TV money, have some kind of playoff, whether it's a discussion in itself. I David Shaw yesterday at Stanford, what's a legitimate playoff to you? And he said, well, that's the question, isn't it? You know, if everybody doesn't play, what are we playing for? Are we even playing for anything at the end of the year? So I think all those questions need to be answered. And then going back to what you had just said, you know, is it a forfeit if somebody tests positive? Let's say right now that we have college football in some form, you know, whether that's 80% of the teams playing, we're starting in September, October, we have some type of a season. What do you think would ultimately shut down everything? Are we talking about if a player tests positive, is that enough? A coach testing positive, somebody dying? You know, what do you think is the line there to shut it down after the season actually starts? Oh, I think another spike, which we're told by the experts is inevitable um and you look at a state like georgia which is gung-ho for college football but their their governor seems to be writing a a script for how to catch the virus let's open up bowling alleys yeah those are essential aren't they let's stick our thumbs in holes that aren't clean you know for some reason tattoo parlors are essential you know what we know about this disease so far is gathering people spreads it and I, I just, I, I have a hard time and then, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out. They'll probably go forward to some degree, how you put a hundred people in a room and not spread this disease. Um, testing is one thing, having a vaccine is another. And that's what, that's what I've said from the beginning that to me, the obviously untrained, um, non-medical, you almost have to have a vaccine or have this thing nearly eradicated to proceed forward safely. And then, I mean, going off of that, Oregon, I'm talking about two states in the separate end of the spectrum, they've said, I think it was last Thursday, they put a ban on all large gatherings through September unless there is a vaccine. Uh, you noted this too, six home games between Oregon and Oregon State in September. I guess I'm kind of curious, do you see a scenario in which those games could be moved to another state? I mean, do you think teams will go that far? Or if there's large uh, is there a ban on large gatherings in, in Oregon? That just means no Oregon and Oregon State football. No, I, I, I think what she meant was, uh, and I, what I took away from it is uh, no fans in the stands. You know, you can, I guess there's a way, and they've already started modeling this, where these players can be separated from each other. But um, I, I don't know if I took away from that the fact that, that football teams can't assemble, and maybe I'm wrong, but um no, as far as moving to other states, I no, I, I have not heard that. Um, you know, there, there, that's another thing about college sport, college football. There's no neutral sites to go to play these games like NFL and Major League Baseball are talking about. You have to play them, essentially play them on campus. How do you see this shaking out in terms of, like the scenario I just mentioned to you, let's say that 80% of teams play. 
Do you see that being a state-by-state decision? So let's just take Oregon, for example. It seems highly unlikely that Oregon would play and Oregon State would not play. So it's not like we're we're not, not like we're wiping out entire conferences. It seems more likely, based on the state regulations, that if Georgia's playing, Georgia Tech is playing, Georgia Southern's playing, Georgia State is playing, do you see that where if we only have 80% of teams playing, it's because certain states are the ones that are making the call? Yeah, I think that's I think that's the first thing to consider here: the governors in those states and the medical professionals in those states. You know, what about what about California? I mean, you've seen Greg Thompson, the Mountain West Commissioner, wonder out loud. Uh, you know, do we have to go with only nine out of twelve? They've got three schools in California: San Diego State, Fresno State, and San Jose State. And so, if he if he's rhetorically wondering wondering that, you know, he's discussed it. So yeah, I, I think that's out there. Who wants to play Rutgers right now? <laughs> you know, I mean, so, seriously, 35 miles from New York. Do, do you want them flying to Nebraska to play a game? I know Nebraska doesn't right now. Um, and Syracuse for that reason, in that state, in the state of New York. So yeah, I, I, I as I said, it's clear to me now that these conferences, certain ones, I guess, are willing to go forward without all their members. I mean, you said Craig Thompson, you know, wondered aloud. I know it was last week, Kansas State AD Gene Taylor laid out and said the Big 12 is considering these seven options. What do you think the, the P, is there a PR strategy behind that? Where there, the Big 12 is saying, you know what, Gene, go ahead, lay out these seven options. Let's see how people react. Or is that a matter of that conference isn't even on the same page of their releasing this, Gene Taylor's releasing this instead? I think the seven options, have, I, I know Gene pretty well. I think the seven options are what are being discussed nationally. Um, you know, a start on time, a delayed start, conference games only, two semester football, spring football. I think that I think that's what he's talking about. Or or in some form. I don't know if there's I'm trying to think of the Big Twelve footprint. I don't know if there's an issue with all the teams. there certainly isn't in Texas. I don't think there is in Oklahoma. Um I don't the Kansas would be the biggest pushback. They've been fairly progressive in, in shutting things down. But I, I think what he was referring to is just those playing options. Your colleague, Gary Parrish, he wrote about doctors. I think that was on maybe Monday morning. He wrote about doctors advising teachers over the age of 65 not to return uh, to classrooms this fall. And then he asked the questions, if that's the case, why then would it be safe for Coach K? Why would it be safe for Roy Williams to coach? College football has the same things. I mean, just down the road from you, Les Miles, Nick Saban, Mac Brown. How do you see that playing out? I mean, do you see schools taking the recommendation? Do you, if that is the case, are coaches even going to listen to that, where a school would say, you cannot coach because of your age? Do coaches even care, the ones that are over 65? Are they going to say, yeah, you're right, I'm not going to coach, but we're still going to play football, I'm just not going to be there? Yeah, I can't think out that far. I thought that was a great column. You know, it, it points up the possible hypocrisy this year that, boy, those guys, those coaches he mentioned are right in the hot zone for being susceptible to this disease. Um, you know, are we going to see have, you know, referees on the field wear a uh, mask? Are the coaches going to have to wear a mask? You know, is that going to be a personal decision? Are they going to be banned by their state health officials if they can't go on the field or coach because they're in a, they're in a hot zone? Or And the big thing is, you know, every one of us could be carriers, and we don't know it. Um, you know, we, we won't see these spikes from all these people gathering um, in these states and going into restaurants right now maybe weeks or months from now. 
So I think all of that seems to be her to be tough. The people that say, "Oh, they're college kids," they, that demographic doesn't get it. Well, the coaches uh, and staff, uh, a lot of them fall into that zone, so they're going to be at risk. You're right. We know that that money is obviously a huge factor here. I mean, we've we've heard the numbers. You know, whether it's losing seventy five million dollars per school or universities will get shut down, I mean, closing, um, disbanding sports and things like that. So we get that money is a huge factor here. But how far or how much does money ultimately talk here? I mean, going back to the question I just asked you, are, are they going to say, you know what, teachers shouldn't be there, but coaches, for example, Nick Saban, we need Nick Saban to be on the sideline for Alabama football for this institution. How much does money talk in this situation? Well, I mentioned it earlier that they are, the, the stakeholders in this thing are basically willing to do anything to get a piece of that pie. Because if they don't play football, I think there'd be a lot of schools that would have to give up college athletics, frankly, at the bottom end of the scale. And, and several others would face a shortfall that would be staggering. I think I've, I think I've already read re- UCLA starts the season, starts the, the year, um, this academic year, $20 million in the whole, their athletic budget. If they don't play, it might be $100 million. How do you borrow that much money? How do you even start to address that? And that's an extreme example. But you already see Akron cutting six of their 11 colleges, basically six of their 11 majors and lopping 20% off um, the athletic budget. So they desperately, desperately, desperately need some of this money, which is probably, you know, if what we're saying is true, that they're not, not all the teams are going to participate that, that revenue is that media rights revenue is going to be in negotiation because not all that was promised in that contract is being delivered. You know, there won't be, you know, I'm just using an example, 55 Big 12 games that are being televised by ESPN and Fox. You know, you're going to have to renegotiate that, and that's going to be incredibly messy. Before you go here, going back to what I asked, you know, what would it take to actually shut down the season? You know, what is, like, take Georgia, for example. Obviously, they're willing to pay some sort of price to open up bowling alleys. What is the the price to pay for universities? I mean, is it... Is it if one person were to die because college football is playing? Is that I mean, I don't know. What's the what's the line there? Is that worth it to them? Is getting a hundred cases worth it to them? I don't even know if you have the answer to this, but in your I think you're raising all the right questions, and I don't have an answer for them. You know how many? It almost goes to the national response. I mean, right now the national philosophy from the White House is, you know, we we can put up with this amount of deaths as long as we open the economy. And that's kind of what we're facing with colleges. We're going to open in the fall. Okay, well, you're going to put all those people in one place. There are going to be people that contract the virus, and there are going to be people that die. How many are acceptable? And it's an open-ended question. I'm not asking you. Uh, you're, you're asking the question that needs to be asked. And those people who are doing this need to have the answers. I don't have that, that answer right now. That's Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports. Hey, Dennis, thanks for the time. Uh, take care and have a good rest of the week. Andrew, anytime. Thank you. Sam Herter, FCS writer for Hero Sports on the blower, calling into the High Motor Podcast from across the, the metro here in the Twin Cities. And Sam, it seems like we talk, and when I say we, I mean those who aren't on the FCS grind like you are, aren't among the FCS fans, the diehards. It seems like we talk about FCS, FBS games a lot after the fact. I mean, we talk about Iowa, North Dakota State after the fact. Obviously, Michigan App State 13 years ago after the fact. We talk about Liberty, Baylor 
after the win this year in Eugene and, and right now for the, for this conversation, for the sake of this conversation, we're saying this game is happening week one in Eugene. This year in Eugene, North Dakota State, Oregon, and this one feels different. We're talking about it before, and I get that, that you are in the FCS world is obviously talking about all these games beforehand, but in the FBS world, this one feels different. I mean, this is a, a consensus top 10 non-conference game across college football this year. Is this the most anticipated FBS, FCS game ever? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it, it, it probably is. You know, it's really hard to say, you know, going back to the, to the 90s, uh, even the 80s, you know, what some of those games were like. But as far as I can tell, this one certainly has to be the most anticipated. Uh, I mean, just because you look at the 2010s, there were some some really anticipated games as far as from the, the FCS perspective. Uh, yeah, NDSU going to Kansas State, NDSU going to Iowa. Uh, I know the, the James Madison, West Virginia game was highly anticipated. But it was kind of like you said, it was really anticipated from the FCS side of things. And not a lot of people, not a lot of ca- uh, ca- casual college football fans were paying attention to those games. But this one certainly is different uh, just because NDSU is a known commodity in the world of college football. Uh, they're going to Oregon, and, you know, this will be the the, 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 the most highest-ranked uh, team they've played in, in the FBS. And, uh, yeah, so I think it's, it's certainly really highly anticipated, uh, not only from the FCS perspective, but uh, I think everyone in, in college football has this game circled and, and will have their eyes on it. How does the FCS world view this game specifically? Because we talked about it before we hopped on, regardless of the outcome, um, I assume that won't change win or loss. I mean, we can talk about if the Bison get blown out by 60, but the Bison aren't getting blown out by 60. We could talk about that, but I assume win or loss, it's not going to change the season outlook for North, North Dakota State. But what does this game mean to FCS football. Is there any way to quantify it for us FBS folks? It'd be a huge deal, obviously, if, if NSU can, can get that win there, not only for the program, but just for the the, the level of respect the FCS can gain. And I, I especially think the FCS needs that because 2019 slash 2020 hasn't been a good year so far for the FCS as far as trying to earn some national respect. Last year, there was only three FCS versus FBS upsets. And then in the draft just recently, there was only, I believe, six FCS NFL draft picks. So uh, I think especially now more than ever, the FCS is looking for some respect. And uh, I think NDSU getting a win or at least, you know, competing well, which I think they will. I I think that would go a long ways for the FCS. Let me gently push back against that and ask you, you know, because North Dakota State is viewed... FBS fans who watch FBS football, they know North Dakota State. They know the dynasty. This isn't some buried FCS team. Everybody generally knows North Dakota State. So how much how much higher can North Dakota State actually go? Let's say they go into Eugene and they win. They win 24 to 20. That happens. How much higher can then re- the regard for North Dakota State go nationally? Well, I... <laughs> There's been about three different times this decade where I thought NDSU hit its ceiling and it's no way it gets better for that team <laughs> uh, than what it is, and they just keep on going higher and higher. You know, I mean, after twenty third, after the 2013 season when they beat Kansas State and had college game day, I was kind of going, all right, you know, this is probably as good as it gets. And then a few years later, Carson Wentz gets drafted, number two overall, and I was thinking this is this is probably as, going to be as good as it gets. Now their current quarterback, Trey Lance, is looked as looked at as a, a top quarterback in the NFL draft, and he's only a sophomore, uh, and, and that's pretty that's pretty good as well. And then you know if NDSU goes goes on and beats Oregon, you know like I said, that would probably that would be their 
their best FBS upsets of all time. Uh, and so, I mean, NSU just keeps on raising the bar, and right when you think they, they've hit their ceiling, they just, they just keep on elevating things. Uh, so I think, yeah, I mean, however this game goes, NSU is still – very highly going to be going to be considered as the favorite for the national championship the fcs national championship so even a loss i mean doesn't really derail things but a win uh certainly i think gets even more attention on ndsu and the fcs uh and i think it shows that ndsu would compete very well at the fbs level which i think a lot of us already know and you know if the bison do get a win i mean it's the 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 bison to india or the the ndsu to fbs talks are going to be at an all-time high and it's going to probably get a li- probably going to get a little bit out of control with people that that don't realize the the financial uh aspects of it but that's a, that's a whole different podcast right there yeah instead of me pinging you on slack maybe three or four times a year asking you when it's going to happen if they beat oregon i'm probably going <laughs> to be pinging you on slack and asking you every single week uh when that is going to happen so i just had Dennis Dodd on the show, and we were talking a little bit about the state of Oregon's ban on large gatherings through through September, and he he interpreted it a little bit differently than I did. I interpreted that that they wouldn't even have games played there no matter what. He more interpreted that they're not going to have fans uh, in the stadium. Let, let's say that I'm right and he's wrong here for the sake of this conversation. If that holds, ban on large gatherings through September, um, if that holds, and we're just going to say this game isn't even played, it's not moved, it's just not played, purely from a fan and entertainment perspective, what are we losing here? I think it's it's absolutely devastating from a fan entertainment perspective. A top 10 consensus, maybe a top 5 consensus non-conference game in college football this season. From the North Dakota State world, what are they losing if this game isn't played? It, they would be losing $650,000 because uh, I believe it, it, <laughs> uh, if you want to put a money figure to it, uh, the payout is six hundred and fifty k. Uh, and I believe there is a clause in that contract where if the game is canceled and the cancellation is out of control of both teams, uh, then Oregon wouldn't be liable for the, the, the payout or the buyout of that game. But from a, from a fan perspective, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a really highly anticipated game. And I think this game is, a, is as good of a measuring stick NSU can ask for as far as how they would compete at the at, at the FBS level, because you look back at their win against Kansas State, uh, and, and you know K State ended up not having a too great of a year. Uh, you look back at I believe it was the 2016 year uh, when NDSU beat Iowa. Iowa Iowa was I think ranked number 11 at the time, but they ended up being six and six or five and seven that year. So it was kind of okay. Well, Iowa maybe wasn't that good, uh, but Oregon's going to be a top 10, top five team. They're probably going to stay that that way uh, throughout the whole season. So I think this is a, a huge measuring stick for NDSU. And uh, from a, from a fan perspective, all of us would, you know, would be watching that game uh, really curious as to see how well NDSU stacks up against uh, the best of the best in the FBS world. Sam, while I have you here two weeks after that game going South here, another biggie South Dakota state at Nebraska and Scott Frost and the, and the Huskers take a lot of body blows in the high motor podcast uh, for me and my guests in my Twitter feed uh, criticized them significantly over the last few years. I don't know Jackrabbits football all that well, but I do know they were damn good last year. And I do know in my conversations with you, they're going to be damn good this year. How damn good are we talking about? And we'll talk specifics of this game and NDSU Oregon closer to the season, praying that those games actually happen. But, I mean, how damn good are we talking about South Dakota State? And sitting here right now in mid-May, do you like their chances uh, at Nebraska in Week 3? I do, yeah. I mean, I like 
South Dakota State's chances to beat Nebraska a lot better than I like NDSU's chances to beat Oregon. Uh, I think the Bison game will be competitive, but I don't think NDSU will win that game. I, I mean, I, I think South Dakota State has a has a pretty good shot to go into Nebraska and get a win there. Uh, in my opinion, I think the Jacks are going to be the second best team in the FCS. Uh, in my personal preseason poll, uh, they they probably will be preseason number two. They they bring back basically their entire defense except for a couple of standouts. Uh, they, they bring back all of their big time weapons offensively, starting quarterback, uh, running back, wide receiver that are all all American, all conference level. And, you know, so it's going to be a same look team that almost beat Minnesota uh, to start last year. And the Gophers end up having a really good season, one of the best they've had in quite some time. So I expect the Jacks to be better than they were last year. We all know that Nebraska has had its struggles. So, uh, yeah, I think South Dakota State has a, has a good shot to go in there and get a win, which would be absolutely huge for that program because South Dakota State loves going down to Nebraska and getting those guys that you know, maybe they're offered a walk-on opportunity at Nebraska, uh, but then South Dakota State comes in and offers a full-ride scholarship, and they come up to Brookings. Uh, so, yeah, that's a, a an absolutely huge game for South Dakota State. Hey, Sam, really quickly, so you said you're planning on ranking South Dakota State number two behind number one, North Dakota State. What is the gap there? Just just to give our FBS fans here an idea, is there any way to quantify that? Is it a big gap? Is it, is it a small gap? Plan on a neutral field. Um, how big of a gap would those teams have? Well, in, in 2020, I think it's a, a, a pretty substantial gap, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, South Dakota State has, you know, continuously closed the gap on NDSU a little bit. Uh, the Jacks have beaten the Bison in 2016 and 2017 during the regular season, uh, but the Bison did get some payback in the 2016 season and took it to South Dakota State in the playoffs. But, I mean, South Dakota State, they, they are closing that gap, but I, I think 2020, this this NDSU team is so stupidly loaded with talent all across the board that I think the gap between NDSU and the rest of the FCS is widening in 2020 uh, just because of what the Bison have coming back. That's Sam Herter on Twitter at Sam Herter FCS online at HeroSports.com. Always a pleasure, Sam. Uh, be well, my friend. I'd love to have you back here in August. Hopefully these games are played and hopefully we can do some breakdowns. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. We forgot each other's names But it didn't matter Cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one Before you met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces